Well, we want to look at another character in the Bible who at least worried that his own life had disqualified him from God's plan. You see, we meet Jacob in Genesis chapter 28, and he's on the run because he is going to be killed by his brother. Jacob is a thief and a liar. So we're going to look at that story this morning. We're going to pick it up. Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 to 22, if you want to follow along. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. Verse 11 tells us that when he reached a certain place, that's a guy speak for I have no idea where I am. That's what that is right there. He reached somewhere. The Hebrew term here is for nowhere in particular. Have you ever been lost? I mean, proper lost. You had no idea where you were going to go next. I was with my kids at an apple orchard. It was one of those orchards where they invite you in to pick the apples. And so my kids were going to pick apples. And I can tell you, having taken small kids, I don't know if the orchard gets a good deal. Because my kids will just eat apples all day and then walk up with one apple to the gate saying, I just want to pay for this one. But we're at this orchard and they are so eager to get going that two of them, I won't say which daughter of mine it was, but one of my daughters and Noah took off with full vigor to get apples And so they take off, and the place is more crowded than you would think, and it is larger than you would expect. And before she knows it, I can see them from a distance, but they cannot see me. And I see the look on their face of panic that they had become lost. Do you remember being lost? Yeah, you remember being lost? A terrible feeling. I've been out in the cane fields before on my way to a Bible study late as usual and driving as quickly as I could only to realize I had gone down a dead end. And when I went to back up the car, it just sank into the mud. And so I get out of my car with no flashlight and no cell phone to walk nowhere in particular, but staying put doesn't seem like a good idea either. Have you ever been lost? You didn't know where to go next in life and you weren't sure where you were meant to go. Because where you were meant to be, where Jacob was supposed to be, is to be inheriting the land from his father Isaac. That was what was supposed to happen. The problem is, is that God messed the whole thing up. I mean, it's God's fault really. Because Jacob was supposed to be born first. At least, so Jacob feels. For those of us who are second siblings, we are not the firstborn. You know what a hard lot you have. How many of you are not the firstborn? You are second or lower in your family. Oh, man, man. See, there are special. I just want you to know that Jacob is a second born in this family. Abel is a second born in this family. I think God likes second borns better. I'm just saying. But Jacob didn't feel that way. You see, maybe you had siblings growing up, but even the laws in the ancient Near East favored the firstborn. The way it worked is the firstborn would get a triple portion and the rest of the siblings would divide the last quarter. Otherwise, your land would be split up into too many small pieces. And Jacob was a twin with his brother, but that difference of who came out first made all the difference. Because now Esau, his older brother, 
He is, in the mind of Jacob, his less intelligent older brother. His athletic, but not a lot going on upstairs, older brother was going to get all this property. And Jacob would have to spend his life asking his brother for favors. God had clearly made a mistake. He wasn't supposed to be born like this. Maybe you've grown up in a family or a situation where you have said to yourself, God, it just doesn't seem right. Like, why can't I catch a break? Why wasn't I born in that family? Why didn't I get that economic break? They get all the luck. They got the scholarship, and I didn't. They made the sports team, and I didn't. They found the right person early in life, and here I am still alone. God is clearly making a mistake. His name means deceiver or trickster because it said that he came out of the wound grabbing the heel as if Jacob was trying to pull Esau back in the wound so he could poke his head out first and just was one second short. And it would bother him the rest of his life. But no matter in Jacob's mind, when God makes a mistake, you know what you got to do? You're just going to have to fix it for God. That's what you need to do. And Jacob decides he's going to fix it on God's behalf. And so he waits until his brother comes in nearly starving to death. And he tells his brother, I have some food. I would love to share it with you. Just sell me your birthright for this bowl of stew. Now Esau here does not make a great economic choice. All my property and all my wealth for a bowl of soup. Most people would say that's not a good investment. Warren Buffett would not advise this investment choice. And yet Esau trades away his birthright, his land and property, for a bowl of soup for something to eat. Now, of course, this is Esau's own stupidity, but in his mind, and anyone looking at this would say that Jacob was taking advantage of hunger to get ahead. You see, when things get tough in Zimbabwe, it is easy to take advantage, isn't it? People are desperate. And when people are desperate, there is money to be made. Amen? I mean, there's people, whether it comes to food or fuel, all you need is a thousand desperate people and you can make a million bucks. Cheredzi is a testimony to desperation equals profit as long as you're willing to be a little bit Jacob about it. I was supposed to be a millionaire anyway, so it's not my fault Zimbabwe was made like this. I didn't make the situation, but since things are hard, I have some starving people in this town, and I could make money on them when things don't seem right. Jacob looks at a starving brother, and rather than looking at him with compassion, looks at it as a business opportunity to get ahead. When times become difficult, when we feel like our own life has been dealt unfair, it is often those closest to us that suffer the most. Those that we're tempted to take advantage of, those we are tempted to steal from, those we are tempted to be jealous of are those closest to us. And so Jacob takes advantage of his brother. Now, Esau, of course, was partially to blame for this, but that's not the way he sees it. Have you ever noticed that when people make a dumb choice... They always have a good reason why it's somebody else's fault. Like, have you ever, have you ever noticed that? Like, no matter how dumb of a choice, yes, 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 I did something dumb, but they started it, right? Yes, 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 I shouldn't have gotten that fight, but they started it. No matter how dumb the choice we make in life, we are always within the power, and this is one of God's great gifts, that you could use the mind God gave you to make up a reason why it is not actually your fault. 
And so Esau, in his head, does not accept responsibility. He says this is Jacob's fault. But since Esau is a good son, he won't kill Jacob while his dad is still alive. See, that's compassionate. If you thought your family was dysfunctional, just wait until you see the people in the Bible, from murder to theft to deceptions and lies. Esau is waiting for his father to die. Perhaps you've been around families at funerals, but it's not always as peaceful as we would want. Often those conflicts come back to the surface, waiting for their opportunity to rear their head again. Siblings who always hated each other brought get back together in the same place. When, uh, when Isaac dies, Esau says, Jacob, I am going to kill you. Esau was stronger. Esau was the hunter. Esau would kill Jacob, and so Jacob is now on the run. That means the land that he gained from his little trick is gone. There's no birthright in terms of economic value. He doesn't get the herds. He doesn't get the sheep. He doesn't get the stuff. He doesn't get the house. He doesn't get the cars. He doesn't get the smartphones. You get the idea. He takes nothing with him. So his whole deception, destroying his relationship with his brother, was for nothing at all. But that wasn't the only person that Jacob lied to. Jacob lied to his own dad. Jacob knows that his father will honor the fact that Esau was born first and he wants the blessing. So Jacob disguises himself as somebody else. He becomes another person. He trades his own identity for that of his brother in order to get ahead. How many people, when things become desperate, when God's timing is waiting too long, they begin to become somebody else, somebody that they would never recognize. They take on the skin of an Esau. And people visit them in Harare or see them in Johannesburg. And when they bump into them, they say, man, you were never like this growing up. What has happened to you? And they said, God was messing things up. So I had to become somebody else to make it happen for me in my life. And he lies to his own father. His father says, Esau, is that you? Jacob, yes, father. It's me. I'm Esau the hunter. Trying his best to sound like Esau. It says that he put on the skins of an animal and he tried to make himself smell like the outdoors. That's a nice way to say it. He tried to stink as much as possible so he had a good Esau smell going on him. And his father says, smells like Esau, that's for sure. And he reaches up and feels his skin. He's put on the skin of a goat, scratchy and dirty and oily. Yeah, it feels like Esau, all right. Must be Esau then. And he puts his hand on him and he gives a blessing for Jacob. He puts a blessing on Jacob that was meant for Esau. And when Esau comes back from the hunt and he goes into his father and says, Father, bless me. And his father says, I can't. I've already given it away. Isn't there any blessing left for me, says Esau. And he does a small blessing on him. Jacob had lied to his own dad. Jacob had stolen from his own brother, and now he is in a certain place. What would the blessing do if he wasn't going to step into Abraham's shoes after all? I mean, if there's no land, if there's no promise of Canaan, if there's no, if you're estranged from your family, if you have been banished, this would nullify the promises of God, wouldn't it? Perhaps some of you have wondered because of a bad choice earlier in life. 
because you dated the wrong person at the wrong time because of what you were doing in high school and things didn't work out because of some trying to get ahead in your early days. You cut some corners that came back to haunt you. And now you feel like Jacob, a bit stuck, wondering if perhaps you've missed out. If you could just go back 10 years and start again, it would be different. But that is not what you're being offered. You now find yourself in just a certain place. Nowhere in particular. And the terrible thing about being nowhere is no matter which direction you go, you know, uh, no matter which direction you go, you're never sure if it is right or if it is wrong. What does God expect me to do now that I am this old? Now that things in my marriage have gone this difficult? Now that my kids are starting to act in ways that I barely recognize them? Now that the economics are about to crush me? Where do I go from here? And all that Jacob can do is he just stops because the sun was about to set. He went from being lost to being lost in the dark. And then he takes a stone there and he put his head under it to lay down to sleep. Now, I think that's wonderful that they give us this detail because what it tells us is, is that Jacob didn't pack. Okay. I have been known to put off packing until the last possible minute. Like, I'm just not a great packer. And so I will sometimes throw a few things in a bag before I go to South Africa, but often I'll forget. And then I'll say to myself, I'll buy things when I get down there, but it'll get late, and you come into your hotel room, and the only thing I'm missing is all my clothes and my toothbrush and pretty much everything and my phone and my charger. But other than that, I'm prepared. My wife is a great packer, most of the time. Um, maybe you're one who prepares before you go on a trip. But what this tells us is that Jacob didn't bring anything with him. So to be clear, he is lost and he is broke. He doesn't have a roll, a, bo- a roll bundle for his head. He has to find your own rock and that will be my pillow for tonight. He doesn't even have an extra cloak. So he is lost and he is broke And I'm going to go ahead and say that rocks are good for many things, but pillows aren't one of them. He's using a rock for a pillow, and I'm not even sure why, because surely there's something fluffier out there than a rock. But I'm going to know this, that Jacob is so tired and exhausted that he will sleep when it is terribly uncomfortable. So he's laying down there with his head on a rock in the most uncomfortable position you could be. There's no police in the ancient world. If anybody bumps into Jacob, they could enslave him. If anybody wants to do anything with him, he's got no people. No one who comes to his defense. He can't say, you better not lay a hand on me or my brother Esau will, well, he'll probably thank you, actually. He's got nobody who's got his back. He is utterly alone. He is without financial means. And he's laying here in the middle of nowhere. And then this becomes the place of God's revelation. When God himself speaks into the mind of Jacob. Not because Jacob had worshipped himself into it. Jacob is about to have a vision that will change what the people understand about God. Jacob will learn more about God than Abraham knew about God. Jacob will learn more about God than anyone who had yet walked on the planet. For God is about to reveal a revelation to Jacob when Jacob is at his lowest point. 
And I think if you are in a situation in Zim where you are finding yourself lost, where you have cut some corners in the past, where you have made some compromises, where you have burned some relationships, where you are saying to yourself, have I gone, what do I do now? We can resonate with the story of Jacob because God himself intervenes. Let's look at this next text. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. I could play stairway to heaven, but I'm, I'm not going to. He sees a stairway to heaven. He sees a, if you have an old translation, we can call it a ladder. The same word, although this is probably a staircase. He looks and sees a staircase. But notice again, Jacob isn't trying to learn something about God. Jacob isn't on a 40-day spiritual retreat where he's kind of getting himself up into a place of, of focus and resonance. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't climb up Mount Sinai to have a vision of God. He doesn't worship to the point of exhaustion because he wants a dream. You see, revelation in the Bible is consistently described as gift. In fact, if you wanted the word to describe what we know about God at all, it is always a gift. God himself chooses to give us something, and perhaps he chooses this moment so that Jacob, in all of his grandeur, will not be mistaken that it was God's choice to make himself known to Jacob and not Jacob's character that earned it. It reminds us this truth, that we can know God, not because our minds can ascend to the infinite, but because God, in his infiniteness, accommodates our lowliness. Right, That we can know God, not because we can somehow figure him out up here, but because God himself lowers down to grant us a vision even while we sleep. Here is Jacob in a state of vulnerability and powerlessness. He is asleep. But God shows him a vision. Why a staircase? I mean, of all the things you could show somebody, I, I feel like staircase was a little underwhelming. Uh, why not do like in... You remember the story of Isaiah in the temple, Isaiah in the temple, chapter 6? It says the hem of God's garment filled the temple. So like the edge of his, God's cloak was bigger than this room right here. That would have been encouraging, right? Why not show him a vision of God in all of his massive glory? Why not take him up and show him what the world looks like? Why show him a vision of architecture? Well, the staircase reminds us of some important things about God. Here it says angels are coming and going. They're messengers. They're ascending and descending. And Jacob knew what this meant. You see, in Jacob's world, a king sends messengers when his kingdom is extending beyond one place into the far reaches of the world. You send messengers when your kingdom is everywhere. So, in the old, in the earliest days, kingdoms were only like cities, like you could be king of Cheredzi. But once you start having messengers coming and going out of the throne room, hundreds of messengers, it implies that your kingdom is stretching farther and farther and farther as the messengers bring you news from the edge of the empire and you send your orders to the edge. Now God is accommodating Jacob's vision, but the meaning for Jacob is clear that God's presence will continue to go ahead of him even though he has left his family. That God's presence isn't just Abraham's family. That 
Abraham may have thought of Yahweh as kind of a family God. He may have thought of Yahweh as his God. But Jacob understands that God's presence goes over the face of the planet, that there is nowhere you can go where God's presence isn't. Jacob understands what this means is he is not, in fact, lost because God is still with him. Jacob knows God is with me now. But it also means that there's a staircase that God is more accessible than Jacob thought. Because of all the things that Jacob had been doing to try to get a blessing, there is one person that God, that Jacob had not yet consulted. I mean, he'd try to trick his father, and he's been tricking his brother, and he's been trying to get ahead, and he's going to, in the future, trick his uncle. But in all of it, there's a, a be tricked by his uncle and then return the favor. But in all of it, there's one person that Jacob had not yet consulted, and who's that? God. Jacob never once in saying, God, I feel like I should have been blessed. God, I feel like... Never once do you see Jacob before this moment addressing God. I mean, God's up there. God's all-powerful. God makes the universe. I mean, I, I don't know about that. Jacob had not once yet said to God, God, what do you want me to do? And this dream not only tells Jacob that God is still with him, even though he has gone far from home. And God is still with him even though his character has fallen below even the standards of the ancient Near East, for he has betrayed family, the lowest form of evil in the ancient world. But that also God is saying that the door is still open, that he can be talked to, that he is still available for prayer, that his messengers can still reach you. And maybe perhaps in your sense of being lost, you have turned to many things for comfort and you have turned to many things for to advancement and you have tried many tricks and schemes and yet what you have not tried is saying, God, what is it that you are asking me to do next? God, how much, what do you want me to do? Perhaps you suffer from what Jacob suffered from, that his vision of God was too small for his problems. I mean, you can't rearrange the birth order. God can't do that. I'm going to have to do it. And let me tell you, if your, if your God is so small that he cannot overcome your problems, then may I suggest that you exchange your God in for the one of the Bible. For God himself says, I, your will is in my hands. Your life is in my hands. And Jacob recognizes that, that God's will will not be stopped. And so Jacob wakes up and what had been a rock now becomes an altar. I'm going to save this rock. This is a spiritual rock. I mean, last night it was an uncomfortable pillow. But now it's like a spiritual rock. This rock is the corner of the house of God. Perhaps what is making you uncomfortable is putting you in a position to seek God like never before. Perhaps what is making you stay awake at night could be the very occasion for God to show you a little bit about himself. And there he, and there above it stood the Lord saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father in Abraham, the father of the God of Isaac. I will give your descendants the land on which you are lying you don't have to trick Esau you don't need to trick Isaac ask me God says because it's mine and I'm the one who gives your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring I am with you and we'll watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Can we read that last part together just one more time? I will not leave you 
until I have done what I promised. Jacob had just lied, stolen, and cheated and was banished. And God said, I'm not done with you yet. And if you had no other verse this morning, remember this one verse. God has promised, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to do. I'm not going to leave you. No matter what your behavior has been before this moment, Jesus himself stands as a testimony to no person is outside of the reach of God. That at any point you can still say yes to God. If Jesus descended to the doors of Hades, as we read both in Jude and in Hebrews, if Jesus descended down that low, then there is no person, and no matter how low you have gone, that says God is out of reach for me. And no matter what your image of God, perhaps as we think about Zimbabwe, we need to remember that God will not leave us. He is closer than you think. And when Jacob awoke from this, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And maybe if you thought about your life for a moment this could be something that you would want to say. Maybe God is here, and I'm just not aware of it. Maybe God is working right now in my life, and I just can't see it. Maybe God is with me more than I realized. Maybe what I thought was God's rejection is actually a sign that God's presence is moving me somewhere else. He was afraid. His first thought is, this is incredible. God's here. His second thought, oh no. God's here. (laughs) His first thought is amazement, but his second thought is fear. What does this mean for my life? When Jacob awoke, mm, sorry, next one. He was afraid and says, how awe-inspiring in this place. This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. God is going to have to work on him because this isn't God's only house. But this is where the place gets its name, Bethel. Bet is the Hebrew word for house. El is short for Elohim. Bet Bethel is short for house of God. And this place will now be called Bethel, the house of God. Because God's here. God is in a certain place. And so early in the morning, he took the stone that he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and he pours oil on the top of it and his discomfort becomes his altar. His shame becomes the thing which people will walk by to see God's glory. The thing that he was embarrassed about, his poverty, becomes the thing, if you want to meet God, go here. Until you are willing to talk about how God has helped you overcome from your sin, then you have not fully experienced his blessing. If you are still living in the shame of silence, then let me encourage you like Jacob to pull the rock out from under your head and say, God met me even here. And I'll call this place the house of God, though the city used to be called Luz. I don't know what Luz means. And I looked it up and no one else does either. There you go. Then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me and I watch over me then um, uh, over the on this journey, I am taking I will give me food to eat and clothes to wear. Just adding on a few things. I mean, the descendants and land is nice, God, but some food and clothes would be really helpful as well. So that I return in safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone I have set up will be the pillar of God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you back a tenth. 
Jacob's response is one of offering and thanksgiving, but more importantly, this is the first time in Jacob's life where he makes a vow of personal faith. Up to this point, it had been inherited faith. It was his dad's faith, his family's faith, is what you do, right? But now, this is my choice. There's no one else around. There's no parent to enforce me to go to church anymore. There's no aunt around to tell me to behave myself. No one's going to check your phone anymore. No one's going to look at your computer. It's just you. And the question is for Jacob, he decides to move from his inherited faith to a personal faith. If this is true, if God is who he says he is, if God is present with me even when I have done all that I have done, if God will watch over me, if God is going to be with me, then I must choose to follow God with my life. He exceeds God for who God is, and Jacob responds in personal faith. And this will make all the difference for God. But I'm going to tell you in the story of Jacob, his life ain't over. I wish I could tell you that from this time on, Jacob wakes up after Bethel, and he says, now I shall give to the poor and be concerned for others and and help people wherever I go and only tell the truth. That doesn't happen. (laughs) He's got a ways to go. He's got another 20 years of tricks and trickery of conniving and scheming. And God will tell him in Genesis chapter 35, I need you to go back to Bethel before you go home. I need you to go back to this spot. Before you go see Esau, when you are an old man, I want you to come back to this spot. And remember what I said to you. And remember what you promised to me. This wasn't the end of Jacob's journey. And I don't want to tell you this morning by acknowledging God's presence, by looking for him, even when you're in the midst of nowhere, by searching for God, even when it seems like life has been unfair, when you were born in the wrong family at the wrong time, in the wrong economy, in a country that has dealt every possible injustice against you and would want you to cheat and to scheme and to burn relationships behind you. And in all of it, I would tell you to choose personal faith in a God who is more present than you think. Because in this story we see, when it seems like God is nowhere, this story reminds us that God is now here. He is present. When Jacob thought he was gone. As our musicians come forward today, I'm not sure how many of you resonate with the story of Jacob as much as I have. How easy it is to cut some light as our musicians come forward. That's you. You're the musician. All right, here he comes. That's, that's your calling. I can make a whole joke about calling right now, but I won't. I don't know how many of you resonate with the story of Jacob. Because there are a few times in history where when we are faced with injustice, instead of clinging to faith, we reach into schemes. Instead of expanding our relationships, we shrink them because we're trying to guard what's ours. Instead of reaching out to help, we try to make sure that we're covered first and our generosity becomes short. And here is Jacob making a vow of giving, making a vow of following God. When Jacob doesn't even have ten bucks to his name, he doesn't even have a second cloak to use as a pillow. And saying, i got to change the way I think about things. So if you are here today and resonate with the story of Jacob, can I ask you that as we come forward in communion today to remember this promise that God is with us even when it seems like I'm in the middle of nowhere. That God will not leave us till he has done all that he promised. So God, I'm going to ask you, I don't want an inherited faith that my dad told me and my mom told me and my aunt told me. I choose this because I know it's true. So my uh, wife's brother, Mark, was supposed to get a job in Greenville with us. It was going to be awesome, like really awesome. 
We had set it up. We had looked for apartments together. It had all been but a sure thing. I mean, this was going to happen. I mean, we had all got all the green lights from all the right important people. This was perfect. We got kids growing up together in the same town. It was going to be so cool. And then, didn't happen. It was yanked out from under us at the last second, and it was infuriating. Ah, how could this happen? I mean, now we're going to be. You know, now he's in another city, he's on the other side of the country. It just seems so unfair because there wasn't going to be another opportunity. And, and I was just mad that how could, why would God let this happen? Can I tell you where he is now, though? Because of that missed opportunity, that what felt like an injustice that had happened, because of that, he got called to another church to start a church plant where in less than one year, 350 people are going to gather under his church in Ohio. 350 people to know Jesus. It's incredible. When I felt like I was in the midst of God's injustice, God was setting us up for something even better. When it felt like we were ripped from family, it was because God had something bigger in mind. Can I tell you that when it seems like, God is nowhere. This is just wrong. This isn't God. This is just wrong. Found out God was in it the whole time. We're going, to get, we're going to have this moment to step up at the table. If you have a relationship with Jesus, maybe this is a reminder to go back to Bethel. The choice you made to have faith. And remember that God is not done with you yet. Would you stand with us as we sing our song of response?